Hello, and welcome to the podcast of First Congregational United Church of Christ in DeWitt, Iowa. I'm Pastor Chris. Thank you for joining us. We are keeping it simple again this week with our podcast version of worship and a little bit of additional context for our scripture reading this week. Of course, here at the top, my usual reminder that if you like what you hear, it would be really helpful if you could rate and review and share this podcast with others. That will help more people discover this podcast, hear the good news of Jesus Christ, and get to know our community here in DeWitt a little bit better. Thank you again for listening, and with that, let's get started. As we come together in worship, let's take a moment to prepare ourselves. Our minds and our bodies, our spirits and our spaces, by taking three deep breaths. Take one deep breath and become aware of God's presence. No matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, God is all around you. Take a second deep breath and be filled with gratitude for this opportunity to be together. Even though we are not doing this in the same place or at the same time, we are all united in one spirit. And take a third deep breath and lay aside any feelings that might stand in the way of being fully present in worship. You might need to pick up those feelings again later, but for now, let's lay them aside. And please join me in the spirit of prayer. Your voice, O Lord, rolls over the waters and through the thunder. Your voice, O Lord, is found in whispering breezes. You call to us from the wilderness, asking us to prepare your way, that all people might see your salvation. As we come to worship you, open our ears and strengthen our hearts, that we might hear your majestic word and follow your compassionate call. Amen. Come and worship the God who calls us into his kingdom. Our reading today is from the third chapter of Luke, verses 1 through 22. As usual for our recordings, this is from the King James Version of the Bible. And if you would like to read along with the King James Version or really any other version, I invite you to go to BibleGateway.com, where you can find this passage and indeed the whole Bible in any number of different translations and versions. So here is Luke chapter 3, verses 1 through 22. 
Now in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip tetrarch of Iturea, and of the region of Trachonitis, and Lysanias the tetrarch of Abilene, Annas and Caiaphas being the high priests, the word of God came unto John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. And he came into all the country about Jordan, preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be brought low. And the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough ways shall be made smooth. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Then said he to the multitude that came forth to be baptized of him, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth, therefore, fruits worthy of repentance, and begin not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. And the people asked him, saying, What shall we do then? He answereth and saith unto them, He that hath two coats, let him impart to him that hath none. And he that hath meat, let him do likewise. Then came also publicans to be baptized, and said unto him, Master, what shall we do? And he said unto them, Exact no more than that which is appointed you. And the soldiers likewise demanded of him, saying, And what shall we do? And he said unto them, Do violence to no man, neither accuse any falsely, and be content with your wages. And as the people were in expectation, and all men mused in their hearts of John, whether he were the Christ or not. John answered, saying unto them all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I cometh, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to unloose. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and will gather the wheat into his garner, but the chaff he will burn with fire unquenchable. And many other things in his exhortation preached he unto the people, but Herod the Tetrarch, being reproved by him for Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, and for all the evils which Herod had done, added yet this above all, that he shut up John in prison. Now when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus, also being baptized and praying, the heaven was opened, and the Holy Ghost descended in a bodily shape like a dove upon him, and a voice came from heaven which said, Thou art my beloved Son, in thee I am well pleased. I am not who I used to be. There's continuity, of course. There are threads that you could follow from my birth until now, and some omniscient therapist could probably look at my life and say, Ah, yes, here are the things that happened. Here are the reasons why you get in your car and then drive up to the entrance of the church and then get out of your car to make sure that you really locked the door. But I am not who I used to be. 
I'm not the kid who I was in second grade or seventh grade or 10th grade. I'm not the emerging adult who I was in college or in my wilderness years or in seminary. I'm not who I was in my previous career or on the day when you called me as your pastor. I'm not even who I was last year or last month or last week. I've been through stuff. I've seen things. I've loved and I've had my heart broken and I've loved again. I've been hurt and I've been healed. I've gone there and I've come back again. I have fallen and I've been lifted up. And no one, no one, no one gets to do that. No one gets to go through life and remain who they used to be. Those threads that you could follow are different fabrics and weights and colors. They are knotted together and change as you follow them. And while every one of them leads here, while every one of them leads to this moment right now, I am not any one of them. I am not who I used to be. And there are a lot of reasons for that. And there is one reason for that. Last week, I told you that we live in a world full of loneliness and stress and worry and anxiety. That we live in a world full of demons who are nipping at our heels and our souls. That we live in a world where there are whole generations and more who are desperate for someone to say, you are loved and worthy of love. In the midst of all this, I've got your back. I told you that we live in a world where people are longing to encounter and experience the love that redeems and restores the world. And that is all true. We live in that world. We have that longing. And I told you that we can find that love in the church. Not the video or the podcast or the building, but maybe there too. But the church, when looking turns into hoping and hoping turns into praying, we can find that love in this community, in this little consulate of the kingdom of God. The brokenhearted can be bound up. The hurt can be healed. The wandering can find a home. The fallen can be lifted up. We can encounter and experience the love that redeems and restores the world. But no one, no one, no one gets to do that and remain who they used to be. I like John. He's trouble. He's good trouble. He's going to get fired, of course. He's, he's going to get arrested. You cannot preach this message and expect people to show up. You cannot talk about filling in the valleys and tearing down the mountains and expect people to like that. You cannot call your congregation a brood of vipers and expect folks to feel the spirit. You cannot. You cannot. You cannot say, don't think that you get a free pass. Don't think that you're favored. You need to repent. You need to turn around. And then you need to do stuff that shows that you've turned around. Do you have a bunch of coats? Keep one. 
Keep one. Give the rest to people who don't have coats. Do you have a bunch of food? Keep what you need. Share the rest with people who are hungry. Are you in a position of power? Be righteous and just. You cannot preach like that and expect crowds. And yet, here is John in the wilderness, calling people names, telling them to repent, and there are crowds. There are crowds coming to him to be baptized. There are crowds wondering if this guy might be the Messiah. There are crowds wondering if this guy might be the one who will bring down the powerful and lift up the lowly, who will fill the hungry and send the rich away empty, who will help Israel and usher in the kingdom of God. And John tells them, no. You see, I'm baptizing you with water for the forgiveness of sins. But someone is coming who's going to baptize you with fire and with the Holy Spirit. And there's a lot going on here. But one of the things that is going on is that a crowd of dispossessed people in an occupied land are hearing about the kingdom of God. And they're hearing the truth. That if they want to do more than hear about the kingdom of God, if they want to set foot in the kingdom of God, then they're going to have to change. Because no one, no one, no one gets to do that and remain who they used to be. I am not who I used to be. There's continuity, of course. There are threads. There are moments. There are threads that have been cut and then tied to a different thread. There are moments when I went from being one person to being another person. There are moments when some part of me went from being that to being this. And more often, there are transitions. There are threads that stretch through decades, and one day, one strand went from being green to being purple, and then another, and then another. And over time, over weeks or months or years, some part of me went from being that to being this. And that's life. I've loved and I've had my heart broken and I've loved again. I've been hurt and I've been healed. I've gone there and I've come back again. I've fallen and I've been lifted up. And no one gets to do that and remain who they used to be. Thank God. But that's also following Christ. We live in a world full of loneliness and stress and worry and anxiety. We live in a world full of demons who are nipping at our heels and our souls. And there are parts of us that have gotten used to that world, that have learned to survive in that world, that have adapted to that world. And that, what, that makes what I am about to say very, very, very scary. There are parts of us that have gotten used to a world full of loneliness and stress and worry and anxiety. There are parts of us that are longing for a different world. Our broken hearts are longing to be bound up. 
Our wounded spirits are longing to be healed. Our wandering souls are longing to find a home. Our fallen selves are longing to be lifted up. There are parts of us that are desperate to encounter and experience the love that redeems and restores the world, that redeems and restores us. And none of us, none of us, none of us gets to be bound up or healed or welcomed home or lifted up. None of us, none of us, none of us gets to encounter and experience the love that redeems and restores the world and remain who we used to be. Some of us might have moments when the heavens open and the Holy Spirit descends and a booming voice calls us to a new life that is wild and dangerous and full of grace. Some of us might see old threads snap and new threads appear. And some of us, maybe even most of us, might have transitions. We might find ourselves sharing a little more freely and a little more foolishly. We might find ourselves being a little more honest and a little more fair, a little more righteous and a little more just. We might find ourselves throwing a shovelful of dirt into valleys and chipping away at mountains. We might see the threads of our life change so slowly that we don't even notice. But no matter how it happens, if we encounter and experience this love, if we run into this Christ, if we heed his call and join his adventure and dare to step foot in his kingdom, then we will not remain who we used to be. We will not remain who we are. The world will not remain what it is. We will be made new. We will be made whole. We will be redeemed and restored. Thank God. Please join me in a moment of silent reflection. And please join me in the spirit of prayer. Gracious and loving God, we are a people who long to be yours. We are a people who long to come into your kingdom. We are a people who long for a better world, a world that is more whole, a world that is more holy, and yet, we know that we are adapted to the world as it is. We know that we have settled for the world as it is. We know that the world that is offers pleasures and enticements, and we like them. 
Do not let us, O God, be conformed to the world as it is. Don't let us accept the world as it is. Don't let us think that there is nothing better. Grant us the grace, grant us the faith to believe that your kingdom is there. To hear your call and to walk boldly into the world that could be, into the world that you have intended since the beginning. We know that that is a scary thing to do. When we are used to one thing, to step into another. We know that we can't do that and stay who we are. So grant us the courage, O oh God, to step forward, to step into the wild, to step into new adventure, to step into love. We trust, O oh God, that you hear these things that we pray aloud, and that you will fulfill our petitions in the ways that are best for us. But we also know that we all have prayers, some of which we can say and some of which we cannot, some of which we don't even know are there. So hear us, O oh God, as we take a moment for silent prayer. We trust, O oh God, that you hold this world in your hand, that you hold us all in your hand, that you guide us and uphold us and lead us to something better. Hear those prayers that we have said aloud. Hear those prayers that we have kept in our hearts. May all of us find courage and comfort in you. We pray all of this and more in the name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, the one in whose baptism we share, the one who taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. In today's reading, we meet John the Baptist sometimes called John the Baptizer, so that we understand that he is someone who baptized people, not a member of a Baptist church. So two things right up front. First, 
we have already met John in Luke's gospel. Luke begins his gospel with the story of an angel appearing to John's father. Now, like a lot of parents of biblical heroes, John's parents are getting on in years, and John's mother is barren, and the angel tells John's father, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will name him John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He must never drink wine or strong drink. Even before his birth, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. He will turn many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. With the spirit and power of Elijah, he will go before him to turn the hearts of parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And there's some adventure with John's dad not believing the angel and being struck mute and stuff, but the first chapter of Luke goes back and forth between John's conception and birth and naming and all of that, and Jesus's conception and birth and naming and all of that. And Luke even makes John's mom Elizabeth and John's mom Mary relatives. So for Luke, John and Jesus are deeply connected. Second, all four of the Gospels put this relationship with John at the beginning of Jesus's ministry. Luke is probably the chillest about that. Luke mostly focuses on John's message and then just kind of offhandedly mentions that Jesus was baptized. But Matthew and Mark and John spend some real time on Jesus's baptism. And that's a little weird because John's baptism is a baptism for the forgiveness of sins, just like the baptisms that we do in church. And Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, God with us, comes to him to be baptized. And the gospel writers kind of play that off a little bit. You know, they make it an important symbolic moment and use it to reveal Jesus's status as God's son, the beloved with whom God is well pleased and, and that sort of thing. But historians use this weirdness to say that one of the things that we know for sure about Jesus's earthly life is that he was baptized by John and that he was probably part of John's movement for a little while. But what I want to focus on here is John's message, because it's an important message in the Judaism of the time, and in Luke's gospel, and in early Christianity more broadly. So John is an apocalyptic prophet. He is expecting things to change very soon. He expects a messianic figure to come into the world, to take the righteous into the kingdom of God and to dispose of the wicked. He says his winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. The axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And when the people ask him what they need to do to, you know, not be thrown into the fire, he says this, Whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none, 
and whoever has food must do likewise. And he has more specific instructions for tax collectors and soldiers, but this idea shows up again and again and again in the Gospels and in early Christian writers and even beyond that. This this idea that a key aspect of righteousness is sharing our excess, the coat that we don't need, the food that we don't need, with those who don't have enough. And when John and Luke and other early Christians say need, they mean need. It's easy for me to say that I need all of these coats because I have different coats for different weather and I have casual coats and formal coats and there are social expectations and all that kind of stuff. But when John and Luke are talking about need, they mean need. They, they are saying to me, you need one coat. You have these other coats. You only need one. So give the other coats away to people who don't have any coats. And elsewhere in Luke, in a passage that we won't actually read as part of the lectionary, Jesus takes this to an extreme. He says, Do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your span of life? If then you are not able to do so small a thing as that, why do you worry about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not keep striving for what you are to eat and what you are to drink, and do not keep worrying, for it is the nations of the world that strive after all these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, strive for his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give alms. Make purses for yourselves that do not wear out, an unfailing treasure in heaven, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's Luke chapter 12, verses 22 through 34. And I could talk about that passage and about this idea for hours, and I won't. But I'll note a few things. First, the central message of Christianity is grace. None of us live up to this standard. None of us is righteous. Period. End of sentence. If we are going to have any hope of entering the kingdom of God then we have to rely entirely on God's grace. We have to rely entirely on God's willingness to overlook the fact that we do the things we're not supposed to do, like storing up treasures on earth and having an excess of stuff while others go without, and that we do not do the things we're supposed to do, like sharing that excess with others. 
Second, though, that doesn't excuse us. God still wants us to, for lack of a better term right now, live generously and not worry. And I believe that God wants us to do that, not just because it's what God wants, like some arbitrary thing, but because it's good for us. It's good for those of us who have access to be generous. And it's good for those who are without when we are generous. And it turns out that there's a bunch of empirical data to back that up. A steady habit of generosity really is good for you. Like physically and mentally, it's good for you. It lowers blood pressure and stuff like that. In fact, it's almost as though God created a world and created people where generosity makes sense. Third, and this is the thing, these ideas are related. What God is continuously asking us to do is rely on him. Rely on him for our salvation rely on him for our entry into the kingdom of God, and rely on him for our day-to-day needs. And I suspect that it's when we can make that last leap and rely on God even now for the stuff that we need today, that we really get to see the kingdom of God and the salvation that we are so desperate for. Now, like I said, we're not good at that. None of us do it. None of us are righteous. But maybe one of the questions for us as Christians is how we get better at that as individuals and as families and as churches and as societies. How do we, who live in a world of abundance, live in a way that makes sure that everyone has enough. Because that world might just be the kingdom that God is calling us into. And that brings us to the end of the podcast. Thanks again for joining us. If you liked what you heard, it would be great if you could rate and review and share this podcast so that more people can hear it. If you'd like to get to know First Congregational United Church of Christ a little bit better, please visit our website, uccdewitt.org. That's uccdewitt.org. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. If you'd like to reach me, Pastor Chris, you can do that by emailing pastor at uccdewitt.org, and you can find links to my social media accounts on our website. Finally, you can send suggestions and ideas for this podcast to podcast at uccdewitt.org. Our music includes Funkarama by Kevin McLeod and Gymnopedes number one and two by Eric Satie, performed by Kevin McLeod. You can find those tunes at incompetech.filmmusic.io. And with that, you have heard. Now go and do. You've been called. Now go and follow. Prepare the way of the Lord. 
make the crooked paths straight and the rough ways smooth, that all people might see God's salvation. As we leave this time of worship, may we bear the fruit of our repentance, living lives that are testaments to God's saving grace. May we, O God, bear good news to our friends and neighbors, that all people might know your gracious love. Go in peace. Serve the Lord. Amen.